I'd like you all to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 31, where we will continue our series in Genesis that we have been uh, making our way through. As you turn there, I, I thank you for the privilege and the pleasure to serve you all and to be here this morning uh, as we hear from the Lord and His holy, inspired, inerrant, true word. To that end, please read with me, starting in verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come, now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegger Saheretha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. <clears throat> For he said, The Lord watched between you and me, and when we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us to see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Please pray with me. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word that we have heard from this morning. We ask that you would take these words and apply them to our hearts. The meditations of my mind and the preparations I have made would be found pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It is in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at our text this morning, the question that I have before you, is he your covenant-keeping God? What does it look like to have a God who keeps covenants? Can we make covenants today? What even is a covenant? Now, as we start our time here in this text shortly, I believe that these are all important questions that some of you might be having as we look at this text and we see a covenant that is before us. There might be questions or things that are going on within your hearts, each and every one of you this morning, that the Lord is working on you as you heard from his word and he applied it to you. Now, I am confident as we hear a sermon from this small passage here, uh, from Genesis 31 at the end, as we look to this, that his word will speak to us. That wherever our faith is at, wherever we are at, God has called us as sojourners to be here together this morning to walk through our questions and fears and concerns and to come before the living God. Now, God has given us every word in these pages that are true, that are right, that are helpful for us. 
We need to remember as we look to these pages, as we see these things, and even as we think about covenants, that God is a covenant-keeping God. That God has kept His covenant to His people. It's important for us as we walk through a passage here in the Old Testament that we remember the Great One who has come before us, who has set the table for us, who is the One who is the priest for us, who has paid for us. We think of Jesus that really is the hope and crux of all of scriptures that if we look to passages even in Genesis that is long before Christ comes, is about Him and His covenant. Now as we were preparing for today, I was trying to create a bit of an alliteration. And as you look into your, uh, your bulletins, you will see I did not quite meet this. The three things that I wanted to, for you to see were the claim, the contract, and the keeper of the covenant. Now, you could choose to spell keeper with a C-E-E-P-E-R. Please don't do that. Um, please don't change it and make it a C instead of a K. That might bother my head just a little bit. But as we look at this, I want you to remember these things as we actually walk through a man-made covenant and consider some of the things of the legwork and things that have happened before us as we approach this passage. Now, by way of reminder from Pastor Aaron that he brought before us uh, long ago when we were uh, earlier in this series walking through the covenants, he brought forward a definition of what a covenant is. And I think it's important for us to start from this place. And if we look to this, he brought forward actually the words of O. Palmer Robertson, PCA pastor, professor, and missionary, that a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Meaning? There must be a bond or, or an oath. There must be blood showing for payment. And there must be a sovereign to administer. That is a king or a queen or an authority who has power. Now it is a powerful administration that is required for a covenant to be kept. I actually believe it's important as we look to this this morning that we remember that Christ has and will keep the claim, the contract, and He is the keeper of the covenant for us this morning. So without further ado, please take your Bibles once again, and we will now turn to His Word and see from our text this first component. That is the claim of the covenant. I believe we see this actually in verses 43 and 44, and there are two important things related to our first point that I want for you all to see. First, Laban is claiming that everything Jacob has comes from him. We see that in verse 43. And second, that the covenant is to be the witness between Laban and Jacob. Now, if you are looking at your inserts or, or hopefully within your Bibles, and if you do not have a good study Bible, please find me or one of the elders after the service. We would love to get you one. But I think it's important for us to walk through this and see a covenant. A picture here. Now this is a man-made covenant. This is between two men. This is not between God and man. This is not the, uh, the big C covenant that we often think of. as It is a secular covenant. It's important for that distinction as we go into this and say, why would we talk about a secular covenant this morning? Why would we devote a morning to a secular covenant? Well, I actually believe it's important for us to, again, remember that this is His inspired and errant and authoritative Word for us, that as we consider those things, God in His divine wisdom chose to put these verses here. 
with much to teach us, I would argue. That there's something that we can learn truly about, I believe, his covenant to us as we look at and study and think about this covenant. We consider these natures. Now again, look with me back to the first point that I made regarding our first truth. The first component I want you to see is the claim that Laban says everything Jacob has comes from him. Now if you remember where we are at, we know that Jacob is making a bold claim. Because remember, Jacob has actually served 20 years for what is rightfully his at this point. He has, has served the God uh, of, he has served his God and he has served Laban and done everything to fulfill the contract to keep it. Laban actually knows, because we find ourselves hopping back into the story with Jacob having made a pretty angry plea right before this passage for us. That he is saying, let these witnesses, let these people see if there's anything that I have that is yours. That is, after he went and searched and looked for idols and all of Jacob's stuff, and he could not find his household idols. And if we remember back where the idols were, or where they should be, they were worthlessly sitting under his daughter in a place of no respect, no honor, no place, because they could provide nothing. But we look here, and I think what we actually see is something that is going on for Laban that is really quite powerful for us, that he is realizing that he does not have a claim to the things that are with Jacob. He's walking through these things, and he's saying, oh, I, I don't have a claim. But remember, he is a crafty, clever man. He's changed the contract many times, as Jacob would say, you changed the contract on me ten times in just prior verses. We look at this and actually see that what he is doing is he says, well, I can't bind you in a new way to the things that are here, but what I can do is I can invoke a covenant. I want to invoke a covenant upon you. Hey, Jacob, would you be willing to enter into this covenant with me? He's saying, hey, let's not let these people be the judge. Let's take this to a higher administration. Remember that of O. Palmer Robinson, that that is one that is sovereignly administered. Take it to something higher than ourselves to look to and administer these things. Now, is Laban making an appeal to the living God? I would argue no, and we'll get into that here more later because we will see what is going on with Laban's heart as a picture of his desires, his wants, that we're going to see from Laban actually him appealing to all kinds of different places. But what he wants is some of the blessing that he has experienced for 20 years, some of that covenant blessing that God has poured out upon Jacob as the rightful heir, as the one who is promised. He is hoping, he is wanting, he is desiring some of those things. So that's really our big takeaway. We look at this and we see that actually he is working in such a way by his strength, by his power, and by his wisdom. But there's a second thing, too, that I think is important for us to see because it's going to get into some of the components that we're going to see or the contract itself uh, that we look at here in just a minute. But there is a second aspect that we see that Laban states that the covenant will be the witness between the two of them. He says that this will be a witness between the two of them in 43 and 44. And again, we're going to get into this contractual component and what this means in a deeper way in just a minute. He is asking that Jacob consider the living God, but I don't believe that Laban himself is actually invoking or looking to such a thing. To this end, I want you to now turn and look with me at the contract of this covenant. We see this in the middle section of our passage here this morning, and there are four very important components of a contract. 
Actually, as I was preparing for this, I think that there were many people who define what it is that looks like a contract, but succinctly, and the most uh, appropriate, other than O. Palmer Robinson's definition, I think that there are four things that we see that came to us from Alan Ross that you talk about the contract of a covenant must contain, one, an oath, two, it must have an audience, three, it needs a sign, and four, there needs to be a meal. So for a covenant to be rightly administered, these are the components or things that we see in all kinds of covenants all over Scripture. Now we look at this and we actually see these four components. We're going to walk through them here in just a minute. That the, that the, the nature of a covenant will be on display in all kinds of different ways. Now I think that we're going to look at this here in just a moment of that of the oath, that we have already seen the plea of Laban. Hey, let's, I'm coming before you, and I want to bind you in such a way that I want there to be an oath between me and you to a higher power, to that which is beyond ourselves. So we see that first component there, but I think there's a really important second component for us to look at too. It's that of the audience. Now it's important because I've already pointed out that, that, that Laban actually makes an appeal that the contract itself, that the covenant itself would be the witness between them. Now we look at this and we actually would see in covenantal language that there should be a covenant sign. And that the covenant sign is a witness as well. So we start asking ourselves, well, is the covenant sign the witness? Is the covenant itself the witness that we just saw in the first couple of verses? Or, as we would think as Americans, is the audience the one who is the witness to this covenant? Now, now, part of our, our, our difficulty as we get to this passage, as we get to this spot, is our understanding of what it is that we think should be a covenant or a contract, that we look at and consider in our human and American understanding. It's perfectly natural to look through the lens of what we know, but we are trying to look at this through the, 20, <coughs> through the lens of 2023. We're trying to look at this and say, well, we live in America, and we would think that an audience would be the, the, the judge. Or the judge itself would be the judge. But that's what we have in our legal system. But for a contract like this, that is more than a contract that is that of a covenant, that there must be more that is to happen. That there must be a component of both the covenant and the covenant sign being the witness to what we're seeing here today. Now, I'm aware this is slightly technical. This is a slightly technical passage that we have, and I think it's important for us to, to bear with me as we are walking through this passage because, again, this teaches us the nature of our covenant-keeping God. This teaches us the nature of what it is when we hear or see a covenant that helps us to understand who He is. And actually, in these verses, this is one of the tightest, clearest places that I, would, I, I believe in Scriptures that we see all four components of a covenant Occurring In just these short couple of verses, we see all four of these things. Now, by way of reminder, as we've walked through Genesis, we have seen covenants before. We have seen them already. We've seen places like Noah, and we've seen that of the covenant with Noah and God, and there was what? A covenant sign, that of the rainbow. We then go to places like Genesis 17, and we see that of the covenant with Abraham, and that of the covenant sign of circumcision. Actually, let's go ahead and turn there for just a moment. I think that it's important for us to turn to Genesis 17 because I really think that even though it's been a while, we've been in this passage before, but we have not been in Genesis 17 uh, for over six months. 
So I am going to turn there, and I hope that you would as well, and we're going to see the first couple of verses. And here's what it says in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now here it is. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And there's a lot of detail and terms and things that we actually see here in this, but if we go a couple of verses further, we're going to actually see the covenant sign. I'm going to skip over a bit because if we continue to read through there, there would be way too much that I need to bring in for today. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to look to verse 9. And God said to Abraham, As for you, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring and you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So we stop there. We look at this and, 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 and we get to verse 10 and we see what is it that there is to have circumcision, that of a sign that God is saying for this covenant, there needs to be a sign and I'm giving you a sign for the terms of this covenant. For this covenant, he is giving us a picture of what it is that is needed. Now, I think it's important as we look to this and we consider what it is that we have that is going on, what does this mean for us today? How is it that we as humans can uphold the covenant? Well, we can't. We cannot uphold the covenant. And the beautiful thing of the covenant is that we are not going to be able to keep it because we have a sovereign who is administering it. We have one who is greater than ourselves who is keeping and holding the covenant. As we saw in Genesis 17, there was an appeal to God to keep the covenant. As we see in our passage before us this morning, there's an appeal to God by Laban and by Jacob to keep this covenant. We must remember, we have this king. We have Jesus. The true nature of the covenant is that he keeps things in his unchangeable ways. And it's a, such a mercy that God is not a changing God. If you remember by way of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question four reminds us, what is God? God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. There's the big one. It's unchangeable. Or using a theological term, that is that of immutability. That is that he does not change. We consider and walk through this and say that he is the covenant-keeping God. He is keeping the covenant that we saw in Genesis 17. And we see for us that God is the one keeping the covenant. And we saw in Genesis 17, it is for Abraham, it is for his offspring. Is it for us today as Christians? Absolutely. All you need to do is look to Romans 11 and see that you have been grafted in, Christian. That you are part of that family. That you are included in the family of Abram, Abraham. But we remember this too and we say, okay, so look to this. And we look to this, to this being grafted in. And we consider there's a reality that we must understand and appreciate that of the covenant sign for us as Christians, for us, this side of Jesus, what does that covenant sign look like? 
For that, we will turn to Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Probably just write it down because I'm already running long on time. But it reads, In Him also you were circumcised. In Him being Christ. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through the faith through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So we look at this, we see any time that there's a covenant, when we see that the covenant is here, we look at places like Colossians 2, we see that the covenant sign, that of baptism, why do we turn to that and say that we are to baptize our children? Why are we to include our children in the covenant? It is because they are already grafted in as part of the family of God that we saw from Genesis 17, and that God in His wisdom here decided to show and give to us this sign that was actually administered for us by Christ. But Colossians 2 reminds us of this, that it is in Him that we have these things, that it is in Him that we are able to have a covenant-keeping God. I want to continue on with a couple more of our aspects that we see here before us, these two more of these aspects for that of the contract of the covenant to be valid. We've seen that of an oath, We've seen that of the audience. We have now seen that, we'll see that of a meal. And actually, verse, we see that in two different places, but one of the places we see that is in verse 54. That 54 shows that there is a meal. And also, there is a sacrifice. There's a sacrifice that must be made on behalf, because remember, again, what is a covenant? It must be administered in blood. For one to be administered in blood, there has to be a sacrificial offering of blood. We can't just skip over that. That can't be something that is just assumed. So as part of our covenant that is seen for us today, there's a sacrifice. So we see that sacrifice, and we see that of a meal afterwards. I hope and encourage you to think, as you're looking at this, you continue to think of the shadows and types of what it is that Christ is for us and how it is that he has seen all of his scriptures and that from Genesis to Revelation it all speaks of the one story, the one true living triune God. But there's not some different aspects, different things. That there is a covenant of works and a covenant of grace that God himself keeps for us. And if we think through these things and we look at these things and in this covenant, we should be thinking about Christ and the covenant that He has done and what it is that it means for us. Just think about what we see actually with Christ's work. We have these signs that are given to us. We have a meal that is given to us. We actually see that again as the promised feast of that of a meal, of that which is to come from Revelation 19. I'd encourage you all to actually look at that later. Consider that uh, some homework or some projects for growth that I think are important as the week goes by to look at. But to think through these things and to look at the promised feast and to consider the aspects and components of this contract of the covenant that we are seeing, that we are walking through. Now ultimately, I think it's important as we walk through these things to then remember our third C. We have walked through that of the claim. We have walked through that of the contract. Well, not C, but K, the keeper of the covenant. We must consider and walk through that of the keeper of the covenant. 
Now we see actually in verses 51 through 55, two different appeals for who the keeper of the covenant is. Uh, those first appeals, I want for us to see one, Laban. Laban makes the first appeal. Laban, crafty Laban, clever Laban, what does he say in verse 53? Here's my appeal. I'm invoking multiple gods. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their fathers, judge between us. So what did he do? He wants the blessings of Jacob. He wants his lineage and his gods. He wants his household idols that we actually saw in a prior week. He wants all of these things. He wants all of it for his benefit. He's ultimately walking through something that I believe is actually very reminiscent of what we see today. That we actually see in many ways, I believe what he looks like is that of a universalist. We see universalism everywhere. That people are saying, I'll take some of the gods of Christianity. I'll I'll take some of the gods of Hinduism. Maybe I don't like the gods of today. That there's an appeal that Laban is making, that he's making sure that his bases are covered that he's making sure that he is right in some capacity, and he's also appealing to the other man in this covenant of who it is that he knows will bind him and and who it is that will bind Jacob. I think it's really important for us to think about his heart as he's probably sitting here a little bit frustrated and saying, I want my idols back. I want my cattle back that's not rightly his, that I want all of these things, my family, my daughters, to come back with me. He's a pretty craftier man. And actually, I think it's important for us, since every so often it's good to bring in some things to understand contextually what is going on actually in other places or other religions, that if we look to Jews and their Passover feast, and the Passover feast for the Jewish people, there is a reference to Laban. They think about Laban, and they, they walk through Laban of what it is that we should be, they should be mindful of, and I think us as Christians need to be mindful of as well. But here is what their language actually says for their Passover Seder. Come and learn what Laban the Aramean sought to do to our father Jacob. Laban sought to uproot all. As it is said, an Aramean would have destroyed my father which actually, those last couple of verses in Aramean would have destroyed my father, is a quoting of that of Deuteronomy 26.5 and the last time that we see Laban really mentioned in scriptures. But for 20 years, he's seen the benefits of serving God that Jacob has done. As we remember back to the first time, 20 years before, when Jacob put together a pillar, when he was in the desert and he said, you are my God. And I have this covenant sign that I am going to walk through that you will keep this, that you will be faithful, that you will establish and do what it is that you say you will do. That's functionally the second person and thing that I want you to see. We saw Laban and how he invokes different gods. But look at Jacob. He swears by the one true God. We see this also from verse 53 at the end. Uh, So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now it's amazing, he he is not invoking that of a human terms, he's invoking the God of his father Isaac, that he is looking to his God, to the one true God, to the living God. He's not saying, oh man, we need to 
do something different or walk through this in such a way that uh, I'm going to look to human wisdom. He's trusting God. There's an encouragement and a plea that as we walk through a spot and look at things like a covenant, that we remember who the true keeper of the covenant is. Well, it's the God of Isaac. It's the God of Jacob. It's the God of you and me. Whether you by faith believe or trust in Him or not, He is your God. He is the one who has kept the covenant. And as He is swearing by something greater than Himself, He is swearing by the power of the one true living God that He will not come back, that He will not do evil things to Laban. And what was it that Laban actually does in response? We actually see as he has a response, he's happy, right? He got some of what he believes are the blessings. He knows there's not going to be retribution, that there are not going to be things that are coming back to him from the hand of Jacob because Jacob is bound to his God. So verse 55 says, Early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned home. Now, by way of reminder, if we think about it, we look back to that of, <clears throat> that of Rachel that we heard last time that I was preaching to you from Genesis, that we saw that she now has brought in an intermixing of gods into the family and people of God. And I would argue and argue then, and I argue again today, that we see that that is common even for God's people. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to the things of this world. Our hearts are prone to think that maybe our God cannot or will not keep the covenant as He says that He will do. Are there very important aspects of the covenant that you're struggling with? That whether it be the claim or the contract, or most likely the keeper of the covenant, that you're wrestling with your God and saying, God, will you actually keep these things? Will you be true to me as you were true to Jacob? And you were true to his lineage. I would encourage you once again as we look at this and see that we have been grafted in. We are a part of the family of God. That he is indeed faithful. He is immutable. He is unchangeable. He has kept his covenant. Indeed, the law has been fulfilled with the sacrificial offering of a lamb that of Christ on behalf of those who needed payment, who needed sacrifice to be offered. That the one who would witness this covenant, that the one who would administer this covenant, that the one who would keep this covenant has done so. He has done so perfectly. That he came and lived a life that was sinless, unlike the life of sin that I live and each of you live whether by omission or commission. And he went to Calvary and died upon that cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But being sinless, he rose again. For death could not hold him down. The grave had no power over him. For death is the curse of sin. So remember the covenant that it has been fulfilled for us today. 
here that God has applied salvation to you Christians who by faith believe. And that part of the outward display of the covenant is your faith to this watching world. But that is also an outward display of the signs that we have been given. That of the sacraments that we have of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Remember these things. Remember His goodness to us. His grace to us. Our baptism does not save us. Do not hear that. Do not walk away from the sermon and hear that. But remember that the sign points to the great keeper of the covenant. The great high priest, Jesus, who has sprinkled His blood upon the altar for you. If you are by faith trusting in Christ, the absolute certainty of the promise of the covenant is that the God of Isaac and of Jacob and you and me will truly keep that covenant. Jesus truly died for you. May we pray together. Our Lord and our God, we do praise you that you are a covenant-keeping God, that you have held us fast, that you will continue to do so. We look forward to your return, O Christ. We ask that you would come very soon. We ask that you would restore us completely. We know we live in that which is not yet complete, but we celebrate that which you have already done through your work upon the cross. Would you encourage us to live more and more like you, Christ, this week? Father, would you apply the truth of this passage to the places of our hearts, our minds, and our souls so that we would be more conformed to your image. As we walk through this secular covenant, remind us of the perfect covenant that you have kept. We ask this for our benefit, but more so we ask this for the glory and sake of your name. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.